0: in Genesis 29, so there should be some Bibles next to you. You want to grab some Bibles or swipe open your phone. We're in Genesis 29. We're looking at verses 15 through 35. Genesis 29, 15 through 35. And today we're talking about love and uh, romantic love, or more specifically chasing after love. And so here's what we imagine. When we think of romantic love, we think of the underdog guy who is chasing after the girl that everybody thought was pretty. And finally he got her and on their wedding day, he holds the kiss for just a little bit too long and makes everybody a bit uncomfortable, yet he doesn't care because he finally got the girl. Or, we're thinking about the, the... the wife who's sick in the hospital. And it's, the nurse tells her husband it's time to go, but he will not leave because he knows that his wife is a bit scared and a bit lonely, so he stays at her side. Uh, we're talking about, when we think of this, we're thinking about the parents who have no idea what they're doing and how to raise a kid, and yet they're going for it. And they don't always agree on how to raise their kid, yet at the end of the day, they put their heads on their pillow, they kiss each other goodnight, and they know that they've got each other's back. We're talking about the older couple that sits in the coffee shop as if nobody else is there talking away, though they've done it week after week. And when the time comes to leave, they hold hands all the way through because that's their thing all the way back to the car. And then that same couple, as they get older, the wife who has gone blind. And every once in a while, she just reaches out her hand because she wants to feel the touch of her husband that just reminds her that everything is okay. And then, at the end of a life where a wife holds on the hand of a husband as he passes from this life to the next, and he meets his heavenly father. And look, we chase this love. No matter what, you might think you're immune to this love, but you are not. You long for someone to know you, to cherish you, to adore you. That one person that makes you feel like it doesn't matter what failures you have, they got your back and they know you to the core and they love you anyways. And you're reaching your hand out to find that love. And here's what I want to say to you. If you chase this love, you will not find it. Because those are the peak moments that I just gave you. And what happens is, most of life is lived in these valleys. And so, if you, if, if, what I want to propose to you is, if you chase this love, you will think you don't have it. And because you think you don't have it, you will give up on it. And you will never arrive at the love that's talked about in the Bible. And look at this. Also, if you chase after this love, and you think you found it, what you're going to find is it slips right through your hands the same way you try to grip water. And you try to grip that water, and it just slips right through your fingers. This love that you're searching for is not something that you find. It finds you hold on to that. The rest of the sermon, hold on to that till the end. This is not, this love is not something that you find. It finds you, all right? So we're going to chase after some love. Here we go. Verses, chapter 29, verses 15 through 35. It says, then Laban, uh, by the way, the context is that Jacob is about to meet his future wife or wives, and there's going to be a bit of a a quarrel, and uh, it's just, it's pretty messy. So here you go. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to be but a few days because of his love that he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be the servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you've done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave him his female servant, Bilhah, to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she, also, and she called him Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi." And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. All right. So we got five points here. This one that we're looking at is about our desperation that we have for love. So people who are desperate for love will find themselves without this love that they are trying to find. Why? Why? Because there is an emptiness that people who are desperate for love will try to fill, and that emptiness cannot be filled by any person, any one person, or two people. It doesn't work for Jacob either. He marries two, and it doesn't work. This is what's happened to Jacob, and it's what happens to us. He is empty of love. He was empty of love before he arrived and he met these two girls. So what has happened to Jacob that has made him absolutely empty of love? He has this inner emptiness, so what's happened? So I gotta give you a backstory here, especially we gotta do this when we're walking through these Genesis series. And here's what's happened. Adam and Eve were in the place of perfect love, Eden. And then they wanted out from underneath the rule and reign of their loving father. And because they wanted out They lost their birthright, therefore, they lost their inheritance of Eden, the place of perfect love. And every part of you today that feels empty inside is all because it can all be traced back to this event where love was lost in Eden. So, God promises something to Adam and Eve. I'm going to fix it. Through your seed, you're going to get back to Eden, humanity's going to get back to Eden, and we're going to be restoring the place of perfect love. And so Adam and Eve put their hope in Cain. Well, instead of Cain loving, he ends up killing his brother. And then we see Noah, and Noah's given us some hope, and Noah's doing pretty good. And then finally he arrives, gets off of the boat, and gets the place that's supposed to represent Eden, and then he gets drunk on the fruit of the vine, the same way Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. It's like the repeated sin. And now we arrive at Abraham, Abraham is our father of faith. So we got our hope in Abraham, and, he, and, and he's gonna be the one that restores the birthright and begins the process of bringing us back to this place of perfect love, Eden. And it's gonna be through his seed, and so that means Isaac comes along. And then through Isaac, now the time comes where Isaac must choose who will take the birthright. Who will be the one that presses us further in Eden? Is it gonna be Esau, or is it gonna be Jacob? And so the fight begins. Now, in that culture during the day, whoever is the firstborn gets the birthright. Esau is just a few seconds older than Jacob. But God wants to give the birthright to Jacob and not Esau which is against the custom. But God has already said, this is the plan. But Isaac the father fights it and he wants to give it to Esau because Esau is the man's man. He's the the one that makes the most sense to give the birthright to. So, I mean, think about what it would be like if you're Jacob. Jacob is very aware, in the text we know it, look at me, not outside, come on, Jacob is very aware that he is loved less than his brother, and it's cutting him to the core, and day after day, no matter what he does in the morning, he knows his father still loves Esau most. And so then it comes time where Isaac is getting close to his death. So he's about to give the birthright to Esau. And he says to his son, Esau, go out, go hunt, kill some game, come back in, feed me some food, and then I'm going to give you your birthright and a blessing. But Jacob and his mom hear it. So they devise this plan that they're going to trick Isaac so that Jacob gets the birthright and the blessing. And they do it by this. Esau apparently, well, he's this really hairy dude. And so Jacob puts hair on him somehow, on his arms, and he tricks his father, who is now blind, into giving Jacob the birthright and the blessing. And you can imagine what Jacob's feeling. All of his life, he's been longing to hear the words from his father, I love you, and it is worth it for me to go along with God's plan and say that you are worthy of carrying on the birthright. God has said it, but his father won't, and it's cutting him to the core, but finally he hears the words. And they would have probably resonated all in the halls of his heart and made him feel all good inside until he would realize something. That his father thought it was Esau he was speaking these words to. And again, desperate for love, it slips right through his hands. And it leads him to more emptiness. And so now Esau finds out what has happened And what Jacob has done, so Esau's coming after Jacob to kill him. So Jacob's got to take off and go to Laban's house, his uncle's house, so his brother doesn't kill him. The only one who had ever loved him is his mother. Only one. And he's never going to see her again. Jacob just wanted to be loved. And all he's got is more and more emptiness. But then he finally arrives at his uncle's home, and he goes to this well. By the well, for whatever reason, I don't know it yet, I'm going to figure it out, but at wells is a place where hiccup, hookup spots happen in the Bible. Like, people are just randomly meeting their spouse there. So, Jacob finds his way to this well, and who does he meet? Rachel. And our text tells us that she is beautiful in form and appearance, meaning, meaning she is stunning, meaning this. Here's what he sees her. And he thinks, oh my gosh, if I could get Rachel, then everything that's been said to me from my father, everything that's hurt, if I could get her, the most beautiful girl in the land, then I would know that I'm worthy of being loved, and everybody else who saw me with her would know it too. And so he's desperate, and he's like, okay, this is my chance. I'm going to make this happen. But... It's just proof that he's lovable. Now, look, something fascinating that, that I heard. I was listening to a few sermons that go along with this text, and one of, the, one of the people I was listening to talked about this guy. His name is Ernest Becker, and he wrote a book called The Denial of Death. Now, here's what's fascinating about this guy. He's an atheist, but he writes, here's what he says in this book: today because we live in this secular culture, meaning this anti-religious, anti-spiritual culture, what we're doing is we're loading up all of this spirituality into our romantic relationships. And what he says is that in ancient times, very rarely did people get married for romance. And what he argues for is that the idea of a soulmate exists today because we're we are in an anti-religious and spiritual society so we're trying to load all of our spirituality up into our romantic relationship. We're looking for redemption in and through romance. And look this is actually what Jacob is doing. He feels all of this emptiness and he sees Rachel and he says, "Okay, this is my chance to know and show everybody around me that I am worthy to be loved." But look, that love what he's really searching for is God, but we're going to get to that. If you are trying to fill your spiritual emptiness with romance, it's going to totally mess up your life. And if you do find that one soulmate, oh, this is the person, here's the problem. I've heard it said this way. Someone says, I've been married to seven different people, but they're all the same person. Meaning, the person that you marry will likely change seven different times. So the idea of a soulmate, you've got the person, but now it's a whole new person. And along with that, think about what you're doing to that person. You're calling them, making them your soulmate. Some of you guys are like, man, you're just... You're killing me here, David, with this thing. But look, if you're making that person your soulmate, then that means you have so much expectations on that person because you're going to them to get from them what only God could give you. They're never going to fill you like God can. And if you search for a soulmate like that, what you're going to find is that you will chase after a love and that love will imprison you and it will blind you. So this is our second point blinded by the search for love. So Jacob is blinded in his pursuit, and he's just empty. And because he feels empty and he's searching for love, he ends up getting taken advantage of by his uncle in this web of trickery that just goes deeper and deeper. In fact, there's an intricate plan that Laban, his uncle, sets up so that Jacob actually marries the wrong person, and it happens all right under his nose, and he has no idea how it happens, and here's, so so here's what, here's what Jacob does. He goes, and he sees Rachel, and his uncle says, don't work for me for free. Let me pay you, and Jacob says, just let me marry your daughter, Rachel. I'll work for seven years for her. Now, there's something called a bride price, A bride price is the amount that a guy pays the father to marry his daughter. Now that sounds really weird to you, but my guess is that in 3,000 years from now, people are going to be reading about this diamond ring thing and they're going to think, that sounds really weird. What was up with those people? Now the typical bride price was 30 to 40 shekels. The average wage for a year is 18 shekels. So that means Jacob agrees for seven years of work, which would have been 126 shekels. And along with that, he wears another seven years, which is over 250 shekels for Rachel. So, and then, look, look, just keep following with me here. And then he says to something so weird that you should never say to your father-in-law ever. He says, all right, it's been seven years. Let me go into Rachel. This is a way that the Bible says, you know, let me do the things that husband and wife, there's kids present, I'm trying to be careful here, but you know what I'm saying, right? Okay. It's so strange that he says it, especially in that culture. And what Robert Alter, the Hebrew scholar says is, here's what's happening. Jacob's desperate, he's just desperate. And it's all coming out in, his, in, the, in the way he's speaking. And because he's so des- desperate, somehow his father-in-law tricks him into marrying the older sister because the, fa- the father-in-law can't seem to marry off the older sister. Now, how in the world can you trick someone into marrying the wrong person? And here we see the genius and the treachery of Laban that is equaled to Jacob in his trickery in getting the birthright, stealing it from his older brother. So during this time, here's, what, here's, here's likely how it happened. During this time, the bride would have been veiled the whole time. And then it was a big feast, So it's likely that Laban is just feeding Jacob drink after drink, and he's drunk at this point. And then it's nighttime, so it's dark. So they go in to do the thing that husband and wife do after they get married, and he has no idea. And he wakes up in the morning, he finds out it's the wrong girl. (laughs) I guess you could say that Laban has orchestrated the greatest catfish of all time. All right, so what happens here to Jacob, happens to everyone who's desperate for love. Potentially marrying someone that you know isn't good for you, but you can't help it because you're just so scared to be alone, or you're so desperate to find this one true love, and the idea of not getting it terrifies you, so you're blinded by this chase for love. Or maybe somebody's treated you horribly, but you can't leave the relationship because you're scared you won't find true love. Or they don't confront someone who's treating them bad because, gosh, what if, what if it gets, or verbal abuse, or emotional abuse, or physical abuse, but so desperate for love that it is endured because being alone is far worse sounding. And it's likely If that's the case, that this person who's enduring this horrible abuse has likely never experienced real love, and so they don't actually know that they're not being loved the way they ought to be loved. They're blind to what's happening to them in their pursuit of love, and that is Jacob in many ways. He gets tricked. So in the morning, he wakes up, and he finds out it's Leah, and it's not Rachel. So he goes to his new new father-in-law and says, "How How can you do this to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why have you deceived me in giving me Leah? Now watch what Laban says. I mean, his master manipulation. I don't know if you picked up on it when I read it. So Laban says, It is not done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Now this is, this is masterful treachery because here's what Laban is saying. Jacob, what's the problem here? What's the problem? I mean, didn't you do the same thing to your father? Didn't you trick him? Isn't it so that the oldest is supposed to get the birthright? Yet you are standing before me with the birthright. How did that happen? And Jacob is cut to the core, realizing that he has done the same thing. His father-in-law has done the same thing that he has already done. And so he says, we don't do that kind of thing around here, Jacob. And he's cut. He feels shame, and he feels guilt about what he's done. See, because Laban would have known this story. And, and look at what else. So Laban would, uh, Jacob would have been in the dark, not realizing what's happening, the same way his blind father would have been in the dark, not realizing what's happening. And, and it's likely he would have had a, an exchange with Leah also. And there, there's a rabbi long ago in the medieval times, and here's what he says about the story. Imagine Jacob having an angry exchange with Leah in the morning, and Jacob says to her, I called out Rachel in the dark, but you answered. Why did you do that to me? And Leah said, your father called Esau out in the dark, and you answered him. Why did you do that to him? So the, this rabbi says, and then is cut to the core, and he has, knows what it is like to be lied to, and he's convicted, and he, his life is shattered. So his uncle Now, making Jacob feel just, ah, cut, says, you want Rachel? Another seven years. Manipulates him into serving another seven years to get Rachel. Now, when you aren't loved, do whatever you can do to get it. You make unhealthy decisions like Jacob did with stealing his birthright, but then he makes this unhealthy decision that causes him to try to fill this inner emptiness, but all it does is spiral into more and more and more problems. So when we're desperate for love, we're trying to find it, all it does is lead us to more problems, more sin, you might say, because you're not experiencing what you long to feel. Deeper in prison, deeper emptiness. So let's just try this on for size. When you are desperate for love... You give of yourself too early. So the the Bible says there's many reasons to wait to have sex before you're married. Many reasons. But primarily, sex is meant to be something that is an expression of a commitment first. There's already a commitment, and then it leads to the expression of that commitment. But often what it becomes is, let me try this out first to see if I want to be committed. So if you're desperate for love, you give yourself away too early. But then what if you break up with that person? And then you're with another person and then you see that person out and then it just becomes this awkward thing. Or you're married but you, don't, you have this idea of this perfect love. But you're not getting that perfect love because it's not gonna be found in that person. And so you go and search for it in unhealthy ways. Not only will love blind you and imprison you, but it will trick you. And and it will make promises to you that it cannot deliver on. So this is our third point, seeing the trickery of love. Jacob thought he married the love of his life. And in the morning, it is Leah. Jacob thought that he had the woman that would tell all of the world that he is worthy of being loved. He thought he had her. And in the morning, it's Leah. Now we're starting to get to the point of all of this. When you feel this emptiness inside, whatever you go to that isn't God, in the end, will feel like Leah in the morning. Now we're being pretty mean to Leah, right? So, so we're going to get to Leah, but what I, and let's ask the question, what does Leah represent? She represents a hope in love that will not deliver. And really, Leah represents anything that you go to that isn't God that you are trying to see fill this emptiness inside of you. You pick anything other than God and always in the morning, it is Leah. You are still left feeling unloved, unaccepted, and unappreciated. Let's just not talk about love for a second. Let's talk about work. Why can't people who overwork just rest? Because in the morning, they always feel like it's still Leah. Meaning they're going to their job trying to find success. Because Leah, uh, Rachel represents success. Someone who is worthy of being loved. And so you work and you work and you work trying to feel like a Rachel. Trying to earn a Rachel so that everybody around you knows that you are worthy of praise and love and approval. But in the morning, it's always Leah. Leah. Whatever you chase to prove that you are worthy in the morning never delivers. Why? Because you're trying to fill that emptiness with something other than God, and it will not work. All right, let's go to poor Leah now. So she has been, she has been put in a prison of being unloved, which will happen to you also if you look for the ultimate love in anyone other than God. So this is our fourth point, imprisoned to being unloved. So this this description of Leah having weak eyes, it's hard to understand what it's saying, but essentially what it's saying is that compared to Rachel, Leah is not desired at all and Leah has been living in Rachel's shadow all of her life, and she's likely thinking, okay, here's my chance. Here's my shot. I got this guy, Jacob. My father's going to give me to him. Her father seems to be trying to marry her off, and it hasn't been working because she's the older one, and finally she's got her shot here, And, and look, she's going along with the plan, So she clearly must think she's been living in her sister's shadow, and she clearly must hate her sister to some degree after living in her shadow because she's willing to do this to her sister. But then in the morning, she finds the disappointment of Jacob. Jacob sees her, and you know, she's gotta be feeling so much hope, like, okay, he's gonna love me. And he opens his eyes, and he sees it's Leah, and he says, oh no. Can you imagine how she would feel? But not only is Jacob disappointed, but now she's married to this guy. And during this time, like, it's really hard to get remarried if you leave this person, or if this person leaves you because you're not a virgin anymore, and it's really hard to get married if you're not a virgin in this time. So she's stuck. She's in this prison. But not only is she in this prison unable to get out, but the nightmare gets worse because... The person whose shadow she has lived in her whole life has now just married her husband. And it says he works another seven years, but he gets Rachel up front, you could say, a week later. So she is married to someone who hates her. Her sister whose shadow she has lived in her whole life is now experiencing love from the husband who hates her and she has to watch it all happen. But look at what Leah does. She tries to work her way into love and acceptance. So she says, God, just give me a kid. Just give me a kid and maybe he's gonna love me. So she prays for a kid and she gets a kid. Reuben comes along and look, what, what, the name of her children shows what she's thinking. So look at what she names them. The first one is Reuben, which means to see, and she says, the Lord has seen my affliction and that I am not loved, so therefore he gave me a kid. Now Jacob's going to love me. Doesn't work. So the next kid, okay, God, give me another kid. Another kid comes along. Simeon, which means to hear. So she names this kid Simeon because she says, the Lord has heard that I am not loved, but I am hated, so he's given me a kid. So now he's going to love me. Doesn't work. Third kid comes, Levi. Levi means attached, and it says that she named him Levi because she's thinking now my husband will finally love me, he'll be attached to me because I've had three, and it doesn't work again. She can't get out of this nightmare. Can you imagine how this has to feel? She's stuck. A nightmare of being unloved day after day after day. I want you to know something. Every one of you are like Leah. You are married to someone who will never love you like you long to be loved. I'm sorry it's true. You long for a deeper love. There's, a, there's lyrics to a song. Switchfoot covers it. Someone else wrote it, but it, the song's called Stupid Deep, and listen to what it says. What if the love I fought to feel was always free? What if all the things I've ever done were just attempts at earning love? Because the hole inside my heart is stupid deep. No one's love is powerful enough to get to the depths that your heart, the longing in your heart goes except for God's love. It is unreachable by your spouse. And and look, if, if you aren't married and you long to be, please know this. Learn the lesson early on. There is one who loves Leah like she longs to be loved. And he's been right before her the whole time. And she misses him. You got to go to God for the love that you long for. Your spouse's love in the end will still leave you feeling like this is not enough. Your kids, your kids, your love for them, their love for you, it's still going to leave you empty. Your career, it's going to leave you empty. Your your looks, they won't love you back because eventually you get old. Your house, won't love you back because eventually it breaks. And your bank account surely won't love you back because you always gotta keep, it, keep filling it up. So, why are you still chasing these things and not going to God? Why are you chasing these things more than you are chasing God? And why do you love these things more than you love God? Fifth point. Finally finding the love that you long for. What I want you to see is that it is because of the struggle that Leah experiences that brings her to finally see the love she's longed for. It's in God. And she never would have found it if she wasn't rejected for so long. Her fourth son, here's what I want you to see. Her fourth son she names Judah which means to praise. She says, finally, I will praise the Lord. Now, what has happened to her? That she said, I'm giving up on Jacob, I'm gonna praise the Lord. What's happened? She has realized that Jacob's never gonna give her the love that she longs for. But now she has discovered a love from God that has set her free from the prison that she was in. She can look upon her situation and be happy and be content and be good and be at peace because she knows in the eyes of God she is lovely, and that's enough. So she praises God. She has found that this love she longs for, she can't find it, she can't chase after it, because it's the kind of love that comes after you, and pursues you. God has freed her from this prison of being unloved. And she's found out that his love is enough. No matter what you feel in life, no matter how empty you are, God's love is always enough. No matter how unworthy, how unapproved of, how unacceptable you think that you are or someone else thinks that you are, God's love will redeem you from all of that feeling, all of that heartache, all of that pain His love is enough to cure that longing, empty feeling that you have felt inside for so long. Because it's a love that pursues. It says that God saw that Leah was hated, that she was unloved, so he loved her. That's what God does. He loves those who feel unloved. He loves the unlovable. And if you will just recognize that you aren't loved the way that you long to be loved, you will see that God is pursuing you. He is coming after you, chasing you down because his love is that kind of love. And it's because Leah has realized this, that she is finally blessed to praise God and then she has this son named Judah and guess who comes from the line of Judah? King David, but someone else, Jesus, the ultimate pursuer of love. He came after her, and he's coming after you, and look, this is what Jesus does. He loves the unlovable. We are unloved because of our sin We feel shame. We feel guilt. And because of our sin, we have been cast out of this place of love called Eden. And we are emptied of the love we so long that have filled in us. So God himself comes to bring the Eden of love to us in the person of Christ. He comes for the outcasts. Those who've been cast out of Eden and brings us back in. He comes to get all of us Leahs. And how does he do it? Well, this is even more shocking. He becomes Leah. He becomes an outcast. Watch this. This is so so beautifully amazing, the willingness of God to become ugly in order to save us. Okay, watch this. In Isaiah 53, all speaking about the Christ who is to come, the Jesus who is to come, listen to these words. He had no form, talking about Jesus, no form that we should look at him. Rachel was beautiful but in form, but Leah was not. He had no beauty that we should desire him. Rachel was beautiful, Leah was not. Keeps going, verse three. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. Jesus was unseen like Leah. Think about this. God, creator, our maker, comes into the earth and we don't even notice him. We don't notice that he's here. What is he doing? He's stripping himself of his glory and that makes him all the more glorious. He takes on, goes on, on the cross, he takes on our spiritual ugliness and gives us all of his spiritual beauty. So now we feel beautiful like Rachel. He makes us worthy of Eden again. You want your marriage to reflect the love of Eden? Put Christ in the center of it. Without it, you don't have a chance. Never marry, it's okay. His love is always enough. And until you realize that, married or not, you will always feel like Eden. No, 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 no. no. Until you realize that he's come for you, you will always feel like Leah, whether you're married or not. Until you go to Christ and you realize this is the love that I've longed for. And only he pursues you all the way to your core, all the way to the depths of your soul and your heart where no one else can get, because that is the place he's made for. You've got to go to him. He's waiting for you. He's already here. He's already pursued you. All right, I'm praying. God, show us that you're a God who pursues. Show all of us Leah's that before us there has been a love right in front of our faces that we have missed over and over and over again. Show us that in the morning we're waking up and we're looking to fill our emptiness with other things besides you. Show us, open our eyes to who it is before us, our Savior, our Lord, our Rescuer who has come. Show us what a real pursuing love is. So that then we might have that love in us and we might be able to then love the people around us like they long to be loved. By loving them, but also by pointing them to the great lover of our souls, Christ, you. We love you, God, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.